I arrived at the south side of the dorms at about 11 p.m. Nobody in sight. I lock up my bike and look around nervously as the car pulls up. Three college students get out of the car. One of them waves to me and leads the others as they walk toward me. Hey. It's too bad you recognize me. I was trying to be incognito. <laughs> I think I'm trying to look like a college student. <laughs> I'm Matt. Nice hey, to meet you. How are you? What's your name? Uh, I'm Mike. Nice to meet you. Hey. So you guys do this a lot, or is this? Oh, we've done this before. Okay. Yeah, I haven't done it yet. So. Hey, uh, have you done this before? Uh, no, I've I've just heard the stories. How would you describe why you did? Um, I don't know, something like adventurous. It is kind of crazy because there isn't exactly that straight to the top. That's where I'm most excited for. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm young, why not? <laughs> I'd like to like, not get caught, that's my main thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a little weird for me to like explain <laughs> what I'm doing out here. <laughs> like a project, ecology. Yeah. It's kind of hard to explain. I'm a college professor of anthropology, trying to understand college life, and this is what we do. We join in. So tonight, I'm with Matt, Will, and Chloe, climbing buildings, making our way up ladders and fire escapes. We come across a dusty door covered top to bottom with initials, notes, and signatures. Oh, somebody's been here before. We weren't the first. And everything is going well until we discover that we are not alone in the darkness. Hey, there's a, a dude. It's a security guard. We freeze in fear at a crossroads. He comes right up on our heels and follows us so close that we can hear his keys jangling in his pockets. I think we're done for. Matt starts talking loudly about his homework. Yeah, no, like, because the IPA, we've just been running all the sounds. And it seems to work. Security peels off our tail, and we look for another building to climb. Chloe takes the lead. At first, she is hesitant and keeps asking for direction. I just jump over it? Yep, yep. Are we going all the way around her? As soon she is finding her own way, leading us farther into the darkness, hopping rails with ease, gliding up ladders, pulling herself ever higher like a parkour master. So you've never done this before, and yet you just like keep going. She leads us to a four-story building with a three-story fire escape. No roof access. I see no way to the top. Is, it, is there a plan here to scale this? You led us here. Yeah. <laughs> like the newbie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go up the stairs and then we have to climb over onto the ledge and walk around and then jump up from there. Did you get that? You just have to step out onto that ledge, which is about six inches wide and 50 feet up, and walk. Wait, is that actually happening? We're going to like... Yeah. <laughs> okay. So death will be at hand. <laughs> yeah. Man. <laughs> yes? No? I don't know. I mean, like, it would be a lot easier if I were just a college student. And I am so not a student anymore. Welcome to Life 101. Real stories about real students seeking a real education. The kind of education that can't be assessed by multiple choice exams. An education so essential that you are willing to test yourself over and over again. Willing to put yourself out on that ledge. I, I think I'm just going to go there and see how the ledge looks. Okay. So Chloe goes up, steps over the railing, holds herself over the 50-foot drop, looks at that 6-inch ledge 4 feet away, and turns back. 
So what happened up there? Yeah, it was hot. <laughs> I think I probably could have done it, but my heart started racing and I was like, Ugh. You went right up to the ledge mm -hmm. and then you turned back. Like when I was walking up, I was like, wow, like if I was to fall, like my parents would not have me anymore. So I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm not doing it. But Chloe's not done. She plans on going back. What's it mean to you to do it now? Oh, it's kind of like scary, mm -hmm. but like, I don't know, it's something to overcome. As I enter my 12th year of teaching and my comfortable life with a wife and three kids, I feel like I've forgotten what that feels like, to put myself out on a ledge, to really test myself, learn something new. And I'm losing touch with my students. So like any decent anthropologist would do, I decided to become a student again. I started by taking my own class, doing my own assignments. First assignment, field work in a place that makes you uncomfortable. I announced my plan to the class. I don't know if any of you would be willing to do this, but so I go to bed at 8 with my kids, and I haven't seen midnight to 2 a.m. for years, like a decade. So I'm kind of curious, like, what midnight to 2 a.m. looks like. <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna, still going to go to bed at 8. I'm going to wake up at midnight. If anybody would like, if anybody here would like to give me a tour of midnight to 2 a.m., um, I'm up for offers. <laughs> I got three offers, climbing buildings, a frat party, dancing in the college bar district. And the stories I can tell you about that night, the lessons I learned, that's Life 101, Episode 1, Professor's Night Out. As a professor, I think a lot. I'm good at it. And my job is to help students get good at it too. And there's a lot at stake. We want our students to get good jobs, be good citizens, but we have an even more profound agenda. Good thinking is the way to a good life. If you want to make good decisions, grow and maintain good relationships, or simply be able to find a little wonder in the world, you have to be able to think. I'm not alone in my exuberance for the power of thinking. It's why we have colleges, to master new ways of thinking. And after 12 years of teaching, I can tell you, this is really, really hard. It's not as easy as just learning a bunch of stuff or mastering a few formulas. They have to ask questions they've never considered before, challenge their taken-for-granted assumptions, unlearn what they think they know, and in the midst of all that, they have to figure out who they are, what they're going to do, and then find the courage and passion to take a chance on making it. All of this will often require that they commit to a total intellectual throwdown in the mind, wrestling their new self out of the grasp of the old. It's a death and rebirth of sorts, leaving behind the familiar world of their childhood for the wide-open world of adulthood, full of questions and ambiguities. And we have to help them achieve all this within a bureaucratic structure that demands that we frame our goals in a few neat bullet points at the top of our syllabus in a section called Student Learning Outcomes, often called SLOs. I've never been satisfied with these. They never reflect the complexity or necessity of a real education. If I were to write SLOs for a real education, they might be something like this. Students will be able to, one, ask questions that burn in their soul and take them farther than they ever thought possible. Two, open themselves up to others and new experiences to challenge their taken-for-granted assumptions. Three, cross rivers of doubt and conquer mountains of fear to set themselves free. This is what David Foster Wallace called the freedom of a real education. The alternative is unconsciousness, the default setting, the rat race, the constant gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. If I were to name a student who actually achieved these lofty ideals, it'd be Jordan Thomas. After taking all of my classes and mastering these learning outcomes, he dropped out of school. Crazy, right? Uh, I'm not crazy. I just have questions. Basic questions, really. 
That's Jordan speaking on campus one year later. Questions like this aren't very easily squeezed into a Scantron bubble and labeled true or false. Questions like this are answered through lived interaction and hands-on discovery. So I was wanting to get real. And what better way to get real than from the back of a bicycle? So I sold my car, bought a bicycle, recruited my brother and my best friend, and we started pedaling south. And here he is talking to me in my backyard about his trip. I, I practice Spanish a lot on the way to Mexico. Really. So you might have seen me saying really odd things like, uh, like, where is the birthday party? <laughs> where is the birthday party in, in Spanish? Out, out loud. Yeah, I'd be like practicing out loud. Yeah, so like, yeah, if you were a Spanish speaker, you'd probably think I was like legitimately insane. Yeah. He made his way through Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. And as he approached the border with Mexico, he started to get some strange looks. There's one person who I was taking a break and he just pulled up and just asked me, he's like, are you crazy? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. no one bikes towards Mexico. He was warned about the water, the weather, but more than anything, he was warned about the people. They said he would be kidnapped by a cartel, maybe even beheaded. Undeterred, he crosses the border. Biking with his brother and best friend, they find their way to a beach where they plan on spending their first night. It's quiet, but they're nervous. And then... A uh, rusty old truck came rumbling out of a coconut grove, coming straight towards us. And in the bed, of the, the bed of the truck was just full of people. And it came right up to us and pulled to a stop. And a Mexican man jumped out of the back with a machete. Then his grandmother got out of the front. And then all his kids <laughs> and his wife got out of the back. And they pulled all the bunch of coconuts out of the bed of the truck. And they carried them over to us. And the man started chopping them open with his machete. And they filled our water bottles with coconut water. And then the woman came over with spices and limes and salsa. And they carved out the insides of the coconuts and put it all together into a huge meal for us. And we feasted with this Mexican family on our first night in Mexico as they welcomed us to their country. And at this point, I was starting to understand something that would be continuously confirmed for me as I traveled throughout Latin America. In places where the world tells you that you'll be killed by cartels, you're more likely to be gifted coconuts. When Jordan came back seven months later, he reminded me of the person I'd once been when I myself was full of wonder and traveling halfway around the world to remote villages in Papua New Guinea. Like, I can't describe how good a cup of coffee or uh, even like a cheap beer tastes after something like that. This is why I'd become a teacher, so I could inspire that sense of wonder in students like Jordan. Like, oh my God. Like, if you ever stop appreciating the basics of life, do an adventure like that. And now I'm left with a question that has been burning in my soul for 12 years, since the first day I started teaching. How do we create students like Jordan? How do we help students cross rivers of doubt and mountains of fear? You spiked all the way up this mountain and yeah, you just get to go down. You just scream in joy sometimes. It's hoot and holler and wonderful feeling. How do we help students open themselves up to others and new experiences? So I was wanting to get to know like every place and every person. Not for what they could give me, but what, like I could learn about them. How do we help students find the courage and capacity to follow the questions that burn in their soul, wherever they might take them? And all it takes is one real question to tip you into places that you can't even imagine. You, you look enough like a college student. Yeah. This is pretty much the only part of the outfit. <laughs> That's why I was out there that night, willing to risk my job, my reputation, maybe even my life. Until you have stood in a place and smelled the spices and wiped the dust of that place off of your face, it has not been explored. Oh man, this just keeps going. It's good stuff. 
because for years I've been talking to my students about the importance of big questions, the importance of staring down fear and overcoming doubt, the need to open ourselves up to others and new experiences, but I'd forgotten what it was really like. If you open yourself to the world, I think you'll find that the world will receive you happily. So explore, open yourself to questions, and get real. So with that question that burns in my soul, drawing me further into the darkness, across boundaries rarely crossed, past rivers of doubt and mountains of fear, I check for security and duck into the shadows to climb one last ladder to the top. Was that just your foot or was that the ladder? Come on, Lise. <laughs> oh, wow, this one's cool. As a 360 degree view of the world opens before me under a cool starlit sky, I have a rush of memories come back to me. I remember the freedom, joy, and excitement I felt myself as a first year student over 20 years ago. So here's my first year. I remember absolutely nothing from my math class. Nothing, I don't remember. I remember going vaguely. Mm-hmm. Like I, I kind of remember the room, but I do remember getting on top of buildings. And, <laughs> yes. And like, and, and I think like, I don't know, there is some growth and learning that goes on there. I could also see it in like with me like growing just because like, Oh, I think I'm a very like adventurous person so it's like oh that was like my first step yeah and it's just like building me up for like more things I want to do yeah sometimes you have to risk your life to get a new perspective sometimes you have to bump up against authority to taste freedom and as Will says I think it's just the feeling that you can't do this but yet they're still doing it Or in other words, sometimes you have to come up against something you think you cannot do, and then do it anyway. I got about 10 minutes, I gotta go frat party. (laughs) Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, thanks. Hey, it was nice. It was nice to meet you guys. And take cultural if you want to. I'll see you there. I hopped on my bike and rode across campus to the frat party. It's absolutely huge. I see Garrett as I pull up on my bike. Garrett's not so sure he will be an adequate guide. So you and I have been doing equal number of fraternity parties now, I think, too. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, there are others to show us around. Hey, how's it going? I'm Matt. Hi, Mike. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Carolina. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice we're stereotypical, so like, movie frat party I've ever been to. Yeah, like, yeah no kidding. Holy cow, look at this. Yeah. <laughs> and it is indeed stereotypical. It's a huge two-story mansion with four Greek columns up the front, framing the letters of the house. Dance lights shimmer off the windows as music blares into the cool night air. As I hear the students inside singing along with Selena Gomez, I'm so sick of this same old love. I'm reminded of just how much raw emotion, tension, and excitement is in play at a moment like this. So this is, if you want to get in... We put on our wristbands and head for the front door. Yeah, like the floors are sticky, so prepare, I hope your shoes are. We get in with no problem. Hey, how's it going? Hi. 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 It's both slippery and sticky. Oh, just wait until you get on this carpet. But I quickly discover that fraternity security is quite a bit tighter than campus security. Who do you know here? What's that? Who do you know here? I know Gary. Wait, you know I'm West, yeah. Oh my God. I was in your class. Thank you. 
I like didn't factor in that you're famous. Everybody knows me here. Okay, you're good then. If everyone knows me, you're good. And so it was like hard to get through because so many people wanted to like stop and take pictures with you. Selfie? Sorry. I took your class. It was my favorite class ever, and I promise. We scope out the game room and the various rooms throughout the house. The dance room, the nooks and stairwells where people gather to talk. Then it's time to really join in. What do you guys want to do? So you're like, let's go lose ourselves. And I was like, shit, okay. <laughs> and it's like. I'm hoping to lose myself and feel what I felt like over 20 years ago when I danced, but I just can't do it. I can't let go. Garrett's also struggling. I don't know, can you dance to this music? <laughs> I don't know if heard this music. <laughs> it looks like you have to have a partner. <laughs> yeah, it's in the same way. <laughs> so Garrett and I don't last long on the dance floor. It wasn't really dancing, it was like <laughs> holding a drink and grinding. Yeah, <laughs> it's like getting getting to the point why you're here. <laughs> Garrett suggested it's a signature dance of hookup culture. It reminds me of something a young woman said to us outside the frat party. So, All right, so I'm going to tell you that, that people are trying to hook up. <laughs> yeah. Tinder, the app that gives you six pictures to decide whether or not you swipe right and meet someone, or swipe left and toss them aside. The poster app of hookup culture. It's easy to come to the conclusion that that is all that's going on here, but a friend says something that makes me wonder if there isn't more going on. She had been in my class and remembers a story I told about my first fieldwork in New Guinea. I felt so alone when I first arrived. I couldn't speak the language, couldn't really connect with anybody, and I started to get really down. This went on for months. And at one point, I realized that I lost my entire sense of self. When I went to New Guinea, I thought that who I was was something inside of me that I projected outward. When I was there in my sadness, I realized that who you are is actually reflected back to you by people around you. So if the people around you don't know who you are or what you're doing, you start asking those same questions. Or as she remembered it. What stuck with me was um, you don't know who you are when you're surrounded by people who don't know who you are. Right. You don't know who you are when you are surrounded by people who don't know who you are. That's kind of, that's kind of crazy. It's kind of like college, like when you come here and yeah. nobody knows this who is you are. This happens here, right? I mean, yeah. you can feel kind of lost at a party. And... Like, who am I? Yeah. If no one knows who I am. It's kind of like college. So maybe this is more than just a place to hook up. Maybe this is a little bit more like that ledge, a place where you try to figure out who you really are. Yeah. So... This is funny. That night, while we were walking around, at the table was my roommate and Gino and Jenna Wyrick. Yeah. Um, meeting for the first time. And they've like, been like pseudo dating ever since wow. that night. Yeah. I have to interview her. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> this could be like an interesting side mm -hmm. story of like, this was happening at the same time. Yeah, right next to us. Like, we <laughs> yeah. probably bumped into them. Yeah. Because I was right as they were down there and we were down there. It's like the game room. Nice. We go down to the game room and this is where our stories intersect. Because I didn't see you guys that I remember, but Garrett says he saw you. Yeah, we were there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we were there. And so this is where, this is where the stories intersect. The moment I walked in was when Justin Bieber's "Sorry" comes on, and everybody just like <laughs> broke out into like belting out, mm. "I'm sorry." Clearly, like a very emotional moment for a lot of people <laughs> as they sing that song. <laughs> so, 
So that's where we cross paths. And after hearing their story, it seems perfectly appropriate that our stories cross during a breakup anthem because both of them were coming off hard breakups. Their stories are a good reminder of just how hard it is to really open up to another person, to truly get to know someone, and to let yourself be known. Because by your second or third year of college, chances are you've been down that path before, and you've been hurt. Both of them were hurting. My name is interesting because, like, I don't typically, even though I'm in a fraternity, like, I don't typically go to, like, frat parties. I didn't have any intentions of going out that night. The culture is kind of like that hookup culture that like so many people go with like that intent and like that's not how I like enjoy meeting people. Um, freshman year I went to frat parties all the time. Like it was just like you're noon in the dorms and sorority girls are everywhere and that's like what they do. Sophomore year I moved into my sorority and I stopped going to fraternity parties. I'm much more apt to like sit down and have coffee with somebody for three hours than meet somebody random at a party. And Junior year, so that was this year, I was dating a guy, uh, beautifully, he dumped me. I don't know, it was like the first relationship that I was like, wow, like I could see this like really going somewhere. And then went through the whole like trying to be friends and like that was just, that was terrible. And then um, eventually just like cut all ties. It was probably one of the, like the most traumatic college experiences that I've had. Worst time of my life. I was hanging out with my best friend Amanda and my best friend Josh for like days and days and days and I just like didn't get off the couch. There were things that I thought I could do to like change myself. They would be like, oh, like now I am more fitting for this relationship and like now things will work and now like things can progress and held on to that for a really long time. And like that was a really... It was the weirdest thing. Like I don't think I ate too. Like I've never felt so... I don't want to say empty, but I was just like... It was like really not a good way to describe it. Like I wasn't hungry. I didn't want to go anywhere. And that was like a really difficult time. Um, and I was like, yeah, like I'm like, I'm just done. Like I'm not. We watched movies and I couldn't tell you anything about any of the movies. Like I just, I was watching them blankly, not thinking about anything. People were, they were like, oh, like just go to parties, just meet people. And I was like, no, like I have literally zero desire. And so finally Amanda was like, we should probably go out. And I was like, I really don't want to. I hate fraternity parties now. And next thing you know, I get talked into going. Uh, fine. So we ended up going out. It was just kind of like overwhelming. And I was kind of pouting at first because like I wasn't super into the idea of going out. I was content sitting, being a bum on my couch. I had this preconceived notion of what like girls at fraternity parties are like. And like I'd met plenty and I was just like, yeah, like not the type of people I need to associate with. We're at a fraternity party. How many genuinely like good guys are here? Probably approximately zero. I think we like played beer pong for a little while. And like anything to just like pass the time that's like, I don't, I don't want to be here. At some point, Jenna, hops into the game. Sorry, I just butted in. It's probably like, let me play. And yeah, and then Jenna just comes out of nowhere, hops into the game. Do you know Jenna at all? No, no. never met Jenna in my really? life. Really? Never met Jenna in my life. Eventually, it was just Jenna and I playing beer pong, and then the game finished. And I have no idea what time of night. It was like 11 o'clock, 11.30. Like, it was still relatively early. At this point, like, I was relatively drunk, but I, like, remember, like, I don't know. I can think about this moment really clearly, <laughs> that it's just, like, it felt like everything else around me was, like, a fog, and it was just her and I talking. I can't remember much of the conversation, but I remember I was like, I was like really content during all of that. I don't remember what was said, but I remember like how like I felt when we were talking and it was like, oh, like I really enjoyed that. It was really comfortable. 
I didn't feel like he had bad intentions in any way, and it was just like happy conversation. I think it started off that gim like super gimmicky, like, ah, oh, like what's your major? Oh, you study sociology? Like I took a class similar to that once, and then like we somehow we started talking about like introduction to cultural and. I just remember you being like, oh, yeah, like, Dr. West is great. Well, I'm like, guess what? He's here. And you're like, <laughs> it's like, no, don't like, that's, pull that's that. No, he's not. Like, what? We're at a fraternity party. And past that, I honestly, I don't know what we talked about for so long. Like, because it was honestly, like, hours. Ended up walking back to your apartment and sitting on your couch for who knows how long, just talking again. And, and we just sat on my couch and we talked a lot. And then we ended up falling asleep. Like, nothing happened. We was just talking. So like, purely talking. It was like just weird because it was one of those moments where the night seemed so, so long and then all of a sudden it was over like that as soon as I started talking to this girl. I think there was a moment where I was like, well, this is like either where I like kiss her or uh, that's like the end of things. I remember like running through my head being like, like, do I do this? Do I not? And then I remember waking up. And I was like, well, pass me by. That was that night. What's like really shocking to me, because it's super uncharacteristic, is he messaged me on Facebook. Yeah, that was not a thing I do either. <laughs> or like the rest of the night, I was like, uh, which was like, I think I remember it being like the weirdest thing. I was like, I have no idea what to say in this situation. Like, I'm trying to remember what exactly it said. Let's see if I can find it. Okay, here you go. Okay. So I said, last night was a mess and I don't know how this works, but you seem pretty rad and I had a great time hanging out with you last night. So if you're ever interested in hanging out again and only think I'm kind of annoying, my phone number is blah, blah, blah. And I said, tell Cosmos I say hello. That's cool. my cat. Yeah, that's her cat. <laughs> so Tyler sends the message and he waits and he waits nothing. I was just like, crap, like this girl really isn't going to message me back. Like that was really just it. And it like bummed me out a lot. So I was like, wow, this girl is different. Meanwhile, Jenna's received the message, but she's wrestling with how to respond. She's hurting, doesn't want to get hurt again, and... I felt it's, like, really weird, like, even texting a guy that, like, I wasn't just, like, friends with. I don't know, part of me just felt like... I felt like I was being, like, disloyal, even though, like, I'd been broken up. So Tyler is left waiting. Yeah, I would say that I was, like, thinking about her a lot. That it was just, like, like, why is this girl different? Like, what is it about her that... I don't know. And then? I texted him. Like, I responded, and that's so uncharacteristic. Like, you can go through my Facebook inbox, and you can see, like, a bunch of messages, and I just, like, I open them, and I was never to return. Then I was just like, I have no idea if this girl is just, like, humoring me, like, when you text me back. It was literally just like, okay, how can I keep this conversation going? Well, you told me that you owe me Starbucks. <laughs> okay, because that was a thing I remember from the night. There was some bet. I told him if he didn't drink that beer, then he owed me That's Starbucks. That's what it was, yeah. And I was like, this is, this is working out perfectly. Like, this is my opening. Like, I'll take her to get coffee. And then we finally got coffee. And it was like three hours of coffee. And I didn't drink any of my coffee the whole time. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> the conversation was too good. I didn't want to miss anything. But Jenna is hesitant to get too deep. She still has her guard up. At the point of coffee, I had convinced myself I would never date anybody ever again. <laughs> and Tyler has his own reservations still thinking about the possibility of getting back together with his last girlfriend. Whether it was like holding on to like that's that possibility still or just like not wanting to like get hurt again. I was like, I'm not going to let myself get attached to anybody. I don't, obviously our conversations didn't start super deep right off the bat. And so like that was like that. I, yeah, I tried to be really reserved. Yeah, you like were really reserved. Like it was just like very short, stark messages. Yeah. I was, I don't know. 
still just like skeptical of like the fact that something could like actually work. But they kept texting, spending more and more time together, slowly getting to know one another. I asked them if they remember the first text message, and Jenna pulls out her phone to find it. Is it possible to scroll back to that first message? I don't know. Most people when they text, it's like short and sweet and to the point. We have like novels. I'll try. You might want to have some filler time conversation. Well, yeah. She starts scrolling back. We check in after a few minutes. Since this is an audio thing, we should point out to the listeners that you have been scrolling. Oh, scrolling. Oh, yeah, yeah, scrolling, scrolling. Entire, time. Um, the whole time. And I'm only on Tuesday, May 3rd right now. <laughs> so we're only like two weeks back. Yeah. We, we have to have, get to February something. Yeah, February, <laughs> February 19th. Oh my gosh. Three minutes later. There's so much scrolling. I feel like I'm almost like in a daze. And they're like, what are you talking to this person about? I was like, honestly, I don't even know. Like half the time, it's just, it's like just a really like organic thing that. Another three minutes. Yeah, I'm mid-April. Mid-April. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when I say novels, I mean novels. And you guys are thumb typing this, right? Yeah. yeah. Two more minutes. We're in March. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it'll get shorter. Even though these are actually pretty long. Yeah, I, like I literally said the other day that I was like, I, I'm waiting for like us to run out of things to talk about, and it, it has not happened yet. Back in the lab, we ran some tests and estimated that she's scrolling about 3,000 inches a minute. So in the 10 minutes and 20 seconds it takes her to scroll back to the beginning, she covers 30,990 inches, over 2,500 feet. I'm at Sunday, February 21st at 12.38 p.m. Yeah, no, that was the, that was the first one. I said, I despise the fact that we met at a frat party and you are 100 labeled a shocker in my mind, but a friend of Cosmos is a friend of mine. <laughs> he said, well, I appreciate you only kind of holding my extreme fratness against me. Do I really qualify if it was the first time? Referencing the shocker thing. Also, I was hoping you'd shoot me a text because how else am I supposed to hang with Cosmos? <laughs> <laughs> I think I just like was like, oh, the cat is my way in to getting to know this girl better. About a half mile of text would follow, long enough to finally let the guard down, bear a wounded soul, enough to really get to know someone, and to finally feel known. We were just like talking, and then it got really super serious. Like, you could feel it in the room. Like, it was very, like, a very serious, like, intimate moment, I thought. And he was like telling me about how this was uncharacteristic of him. He doesn't build attachment to people. It's just not something that he likes to do. Like after things I've been through, like I had, I was determined to like not let myself get attached to people. It's like, but like, he's like, I think like, I kind of am feeling sort of attached. And then I, I said something, I'm not exactly sure what I said. You're like, wow, even though it was um, pie cap me or drunk me or whatever. But then he was like, if I wasn't getting attached, I wouldn't do this. And then he kissed me. The audience can't see you guys. Would you be willing to describe each other? <laughs> sure. Oh, God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> He's got blue eyes and eyelashes that do not belong on a man. Great eyebrows. I'm an eyebrow person. It was just work, especially for your face. Brown hair, pretty freaking white. Very pale. He's tall, 
little on the lanky side in your words, not mine, but I agree. <laughs> Dresses really nice all the time. And he wears his watch, not face up, but face on his wrist. Um, Jenna's like the weirdest person I've ever met in my entire life, and it's great. Hey, um, this is about physical. Oh, physical. Oh, 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 oh. Um, <laughs> the weirdest looking person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that not what I said? That's what you meant. That's what I meant. Yeah, for sure. Oh, flattered. Thanks. No, Jenna is this just like um, she's like really tall. Obviously, she has, she has blonde hair. Oh, not obviously. It's a podcast. Uh, green eyes. Her nose ring, I think, is the thing that like I, I don't know. It takes like some sort of like confidence, yeah, confidence in herself that she just likes what she likes and. That's how it is. This is better than mine. Can I do it again? Yeah. <laughs> and here Jenna reminds us what it is to really know someone. Like I'd say like if I just like saw Tyler on the street, I'd be like, he's a really good looking guy. Like something's like working really well for him. <laughs> but like, I feel like just that in itself, like that's just completely meaningless until you like know somebody. So like, I wish I could like describe you better in terms of like your physical traits. But like seeing this person while also like knowing who they are at the same time, like there's just no way to like do it justice. I feel like what your story does is it it does sort of like pull the facade away from all the faces that you see as you walk through a fraternity party. And you make all these assumptions like, oh, that's a sorority girl looking for a hookup. That's a guy looking for a hookup. And like, they're all shallow. But do you think maybe it's actually true that everybody there has more of a story than we think. Yeah. Truly. I went through a big mindset change during like, oh, like really? before I knew him versus like after knowing him. In the past, I'd been really big on expecting things to go a certain way. And then when they didn't, I assumed like that was failure. I like liked the ideas of like live in the moment. Things happen for a reason. But like at the end of the day, I was like, that's all gibberish. Like I'm I'm in complete control. But he really opened my mind to the idea of like, okay, like it's good to have like goals and to set expectations for yourself. But you can't do that with every aspect of your life. The relationships like I make with different people now are like way more meaningful and more special because it's like it's not like I forced anything to happen. So I think that anything I'm just gonna just like see what happens and I'm gonna be happy because like these conversations make me happy. So yeah, that was my big change that I was going through. It reminds me of something I was going through that night, like in a really small way, was like wrestling with like this former self who had kind of had it all figured out. Like when I was 20, like I was really happy and I like was a great dancer and I loved dancing. So I, I set it as a goal to like, dance before the end of the night but the thing that kept getting me was kind of parallel to what was going on in your life was like just this control plan control plan and i couldn't let go of like that control i don't know that's what i was trying to figure out that night because when you're 40 you don't necessarily have it all figured out as garrett and i prepare to leave the fraternity party i feel like a failure as an anthropologist we pride ourselves on the method of participant observation you can't just observe something and understand it. You have to participate, jump in, join the dance. But this is more than an occupational failure. I feel like I've lost something precious and essential about myself. And I'm not sure I like who I've become. I do like wonder, sometimes I wonder if I'm missing out in like, just like, I feel like I'm always trying to be like 
in control, mm -hmm. you know? I've never been willing to like truly let it go, you know? Yeah, it's given me anxiety as of late, like as far as school and like, yeah. uh, like just general like success and like grades and things go. Like, I'll forsake a lot of like really meaningful like personal things. Like, my yeah. friends want to go do something. Yeah. Like, no, I need to study or write this paper. Yeah. And last semester, like, I have no memories because all I did was just oh. study. Yeah, that's it's like yeah, memory. Memories are important. Yeah, let's head out. Just you. We hop on our bikes and continue processing the night as we ride to the bar district where I'm determined to prove to myself that I still have it in me to lose myself and dance the night away. Garrett isn't 21 yet, so outside the bars I'm handed off to two seniors, Adam and Steph. <laughs> I'm so glad you came back. <laughs> they each have slightly different experiences in the bar district. My normal night is usually like, you know, going yeah. to Celtic Star songs, like sitting down, chatting with my friends. Mm -hmm not really like raging the entire night. <laughs> Mine's more aggressive. My typical night's more aggressive than her night. That's it's true. Usually like, I feel like I always start at Rusty's mm -hmm. because it used to be 250 pounders and it was the cheapest consistent deal. But I feel like I still go to Rusty's a lot. What's a pounder? A 16 ounce beer. Oh, okay, cool. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I really admire Adam and Steph. Both are comfortable in who they are in a way that puts everyone around them at ease. You can tell they really love each other, but they are not in love. And they are not dating but they did just get back from a date party. Steph was excited to tell Adam about the after-party plans to take me out. Great, we're gonna go take Dr. Wesh out. And I was like, <laughs> as in like, the Dr. Wesh? And he goes, yep, so yep, that one. <laughs> get ready for that. Steph is a business major prone to overanalyzing things. She often breaks her sentences down into clearly articulated A, B, C segments. Just kind of thinking like, wow, this is hilarious and awesome. And A, I want to hear all about how the rest of your night is gone. Yeah, yeah. And B, like, I hope Adam takes the lead because I don't really know where to take him. Adam is clean cut with thick black rimmed glasses befitting of an engineering major. But more importantly, he wears a bright, inviting smile that puts people at ease. I remember you walking down and I was like, this is like a distinguished professor. And I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go for. It. I'm just gonna call him by his first name and see what, <laughs> see what happens. The rest of the hey, Mike. Set that tone Mikey. The entire night. Just, he was, you know, he's wearing a baseball cap and a zip up. He's yeah, trying to fit yeah. in. Might as well call yeah. him Michael. <laughs> We're walking here. I'm gonna give you my student ID. Why? To get in the backside after my student ID. Really? Like you're a student. Come in with me, and then Adam will come in after us. Do you think this would work? Holy crap! That'll be perfect. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I'm pretty sure I immediately just like walked back and was like, well, we're gonna go dance now. As we walk in, there's a song playing that keeps repeating the lyric, something like, teach me how to dance or teach me how to boogie. Later, I'd find out that this is Cali Swag District's Teach Me How to Dougie. And everything about that, the lyrics and my misunderstanding of them, seems appropriate. It's amazing to me how much you notice that I didn't even think about. And A, you're trained to do that as an anthropologist, but B, I think I was just still like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know what Dr. Wesh wants. Like, where do we take him? Adam, what do we do? I'm so glad you're here. Like, <laughs> so I like, wasn't thinking about any of those things. Yeah. And I felt like I was, I was doing a good job of observing that. I was frustrated with my inability to experience it, you know? Did you just say dancing in yeah, so yeah. many words? <laughs> okay. No, I mean, I just like could not like let go and like experience the night and dance, you know? Mm -hmm. just, like, and just like again. enjoy the moment. Adam could relate, reminiscing about his own first experience. But I remember walking in and going, oh my gosh, what is this? 
And Steph understood what it was like to just analyze everything. I'm a classic overanalyzer. I think you know that. <laughs> Woo, Adam does that too. So do most of my friends. I love thinking about everything and analyzing everything. Way overanalyzing it. it. Like, oh my gosh. But neither one of them seemed to have any problem breaking into a beautiful, free-flowing, carefree dance. They take me on a tour, bouncing from bar to bar. Each place has its own culture, its own mix of people, its own mannerisms, ways of dancing. If you're an ag major, this is the bar we're going to hang out, because you can swing dance to the right. And each one, they would break into a beautiful, carefree dance, wearing their bright, joyful smiles, as they took me to wilder and wilder places as the night wore on. Eventually, we found our way to Tubby's, our last stop of the night. My last chance to break through and recover that feeling of losing myself and dancing the night away. But Tubby's was an especially intimidating environment. At other bars, just holding a drink and shifting your weight from side to side seemed sufficient. Tubby's had some real dancers. One dancer in particular catches my eye. It's a Chinese guy majestically weaving his way through the crowd. He dances right up to me as the music moves toward the break, throws his head toward me on the downbeat, then bounces back and smiles, inviting me into his dance. I follow him as he swims through the crowd. He greets every eye he meets with a smile and offers a little dance to match their move. It's like he's dancing with everyone in the place. This is Ming Shin, a Chinese international student who, quite by accident, finds himself in a bar in Kansas. So why, why did you come to K-State? <laughs> That's a really funny thing. This city called Manhattan, right? You right. know, the, I, I, I thought the Manhattan, oh, that's really cool. Manhattan, big city. Yeah. Yeah, in New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, I said, uh, yeah, okay, okay, Manhattan is, yeah, cool. That, they sent me here. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> he has funny stories about his journey here, but the humor hides a harder reality. The first year, because uh, I, li- I live in, in the dorms, so I think I... Because my English is not good before I come here. So I just uh, stay at a dorm, watch some videos, play the games, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't go out. Didn't talk with anybody. And I just uh, stay at the dorm and uh, watch the video and uh, try to learn. But it's hard, yeah. <laughs> you know. When he's not playing video games or watching videos, he sleeps. He doesn't feel like himself anymore. When I was in China, I'm a... Really, really like uh, open, like uh, talk with, like to talk with a friend, like oh, talk yeah. with uh, another yeah. strangers. But the first year, make me really like uh, really make me really down, <laughs> like uh, uh, like uh, change me, cause uh, nobody wants to talk with me. Oh. So uh, so I don't know how to talk with them. So I just uh, stay at the dorm and uh, watch videos. He finds himself drawn especially to rap videos and starts teaching himself English by learning the words to his favorite rap songs. But the first song I learned, uh, The Loser Self, I can sing a little bit. You had one shot, one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted. One moment, would you capture or just sleep? Would you capture it or just sleep? He started to find the words of the song speaking to him and my heart skips a beat as the profound parallels of our lives appeared to me in stark relief against our differences. When I was his age, I was halfway around the world, feeling lost in a culture I didn't understand, and that didn't understand me. I also have funny stories about my first year there, but the humor hides a darker reality. I also didn't feel like myself anymore. 
And as I set off on the new adventure of doing fieldwork among college students, those feelings are rushing back. The lines between teacher and student invert, blur, and dissolve. I hang on his every word, hearing messages in the song that I'd long forgotten. It's a palm of sweaty, these weak arms are heavy, there's vomit and sweat already, mom spaghetti, he's nervous, but the surface looks calm and ready to drop bombs, but it keeps on forgetting what he wrote down, he woke crowd, goes so loud, he opens his mouth, but the words don't come out, yeah. He opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. That's him, struggling to find the words. But that first part, knees weak, arms are heavy, that's me, struggling to find my dance. I ask him what he thinks about the idea of losing yourself, and he hears something different than what Eminem might have intended. You lose yourself, like you stand, like you're uh, the huge forest that only only a person, only you stand uh, in in the forest. You can't find a way to get out. You can't, you like this, yeah. You know, yeah. you know what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah, you're thinking that you don't know who you are when you are surrounded by people who don't know who you are. After a year of watching videos alone in his room, something changed. Yeah, after one year, I think, uh, yeah, that you, you should uh, talk with people and uh, you should, like, uh, yeah, that I think after one year, I changed the back. He started going to clubs and finding a different kind of voice. Music, dances, it's an international yeah, <laughs> language. Yeah. And he learned this language the same way he was learning English. I, I always watch famous rappers. They, they move really like nature, like free. He still can't always find the words, but on the dance floor, he's a master communicator. That, that's a dance language. Yeah. You, you don't, it's too loud to talk with people. You need to dance with people. Tell, tell what you want. You want to dance with them. His best move is to catch the eye of someone across the room and glorify it. He slows it down, magnifies it, makes it smooth and beautiful. It's like a magic mirror. Here's an example. Just after the break here, the music starts pumping and Adam will start jumping up and down really enthusiastically, his arms scissoring up and down in front of him. Just a wonderful expression of carefree joy. Ming Shen slows it down fourfold, smooths out the arm motion, changes the jumping to a slow bounce, and in an instant, captures Adam's move with ethereal beauty. It's like the acoustic version of your favorite party song. You never knew how deep and beautiful it was, and you will never hear it the same way again. And then he catches me, and the magic mirror knows and reveals the truth. He sees me hiding behind the bill of my hat, dejected, not finding the moves. He places his hand above his eyes like a hat, nods his head side to side in slow motion, looks down at the floor. It's beautiful. Hauntingly beautiful. He smiles. He knows I'm trying to break free, but time is running out. My teachers rally to my side with words of encouragement. Adam tells me to move my arms. Ming Shin is more direct. I'm a professor. I think a lot. I'm good at it. I believe in the power of thinking to set you free. 
but now thinking was failing me. My thoughts were not setting me free. They were locking me down. I couldn't help but hear the words, analyze them, and feel the overwhelming dissonance. I'm a happily married four-year-old man. It's kind of hard to get into music that says, I only F you when it's half past five. Ming Sin would later joke with me. Some of hip-hop music, I don't understand, I just listen. But you understand, so so that's why you, you should uh, listen the the rap music from another country, you don't understand. <laughs> the chorus taunts me with its crass yet profound wisdom. When I'm effed up, I'm the real me. When I'm effed up, I'm the real me, yeah. Or in other words, Sometimes you have to lose yourself to find yourself. But I can't lose myself. My head is full of judgments. Judgments about myself, judgments about others, judgments about this whole situation. But not just my own judgments, also my judgments about how others might be judging me or might be judging me if I move this way or that way. And taken all together, it's all those judgments, real and imagined, locking me down. The song breaks again to mock my thoughts. Who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? As the beat hit again, I moved my arms. I didn't move them very far, but I moved them far enough to forget the words, which now muddled into one driving beat. And for that moment, it was just me and my teachers, who now felt more like friends. And it was at that moment that I realized the deep truth that I'd been grappling toward that night, the truth that so many of our students know, but perhaps can't quite put into words. You can't just think your way into a new way of living. You have to live your way into a new way of thinking. It's why Jordan had to sell his car and head south. It's why Chloe had to test that ledge. It's why Jenna had to get out of bed and go to that party. Why Tyler had to send that Facebook message. Why Ming Shin had to be at this bar tonight. Why I had to be at this bar tonight. In short, it's why real education cannot be confined to the classroom. I'm glad you made it. You're coming Thanks. back next year. Yep. <laughs> I've been, I don't like, I mean, I'm coming back, but I want to kind of, I don't know if I want to defer a year or what, because oh, I really right. want to travel. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to. I feel like I'm very passionate about it. Mm -hmm. It's just like actually like yeah. going through. Yeah. Metaphorically, I really think this is very much like on the ledge and like it looks scary. Yeah. But you know you can do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I definitely know I could do it. Yeah. yeah. Do it. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> this is like me, getting me so excited for it. <laughs> so much of doing anything, including biking to South America, is just like, just doing it. You learn how much of like what's possible is really yeah. socially constructed. That's it. <laughs> and I think realizing that can really like give you the freedom to take a lot more risks in like regular social life when you're yeah. not in that situation. Steph, who's lived most of her life by the rules, has decided to shirk socially constructed expectations of her and go to work on a ranch in Colorado. I like was beating myself up for like the first three years of college I didn't have this big dream. It was just like killing me that I didn't have this plan for my life, I didn't have an exact way I wanted to go. And then I have never felt more at peace when I just decided to do the ranch because it's my favorite place. And so I think if I was talking to a freshman, I would be like, do, do what you love. Like I realize there's some practicality in there, but but actually do what you love and don't beat yourself up if it's different than what society tells you you should love. Adam, the fifth year senior, offers sage advice. Make good decisions but make better stories. 
say yes to like those stupid things, like go on road trips, <laughs> get a job, get a job during the semester so you can pay for stupid stuff. <laughs> it, was, it is worth it. Make good decisions, but make better stories because it's the stories you make that make you who you are. And Adam is surprised at just how much he's changed. If I would have met myself now, if like if somehow I can like meet myself, I would never have been like, yeah, that's gonna be me. Mm. Like I would have bet against it. As the last song played, I started to realize that I'd lived the life of a four-year student in four hours. I'd gone from hanging out with first years on campus, playing with newfound freedom, to second and third years at a frat party, making memories and looking for new friends, to fourth and fifth years in Aggieville, taking a victory lap with friends of a lifetime. The song seems as crass as any other I heard that night. It seems to be about hookup culture. But by the end of the night, it doesn't feel that way at all. My guides to Aggieville are graduating in three months, leaving town, heading off to new cities to build their lives. And I hear something a bit deeper in those lyrics. And I wonder where they will say they're from 10 or 20 years from now. For now, the answer is clear. As Ming Shin, feeling the elation of a night well lived, feeling connected to new friends found halfway around the world, yells to us across the room. And so it starts off in what Tyler calls that super gimmicky way, where it's like, hey, what's your major? But that was the beginning of a conversation that led me back through my night, conversation after conversation, to find my dance always in pursuit of that great question burning in my soul. As we left the bar, you could hear closing time echoing through the streets with its iconic lyrics like, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. That's awesome, That's yeah. True, but I've never thought of that. That should like take the night to a whole new level. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. I can sing along to every lyric, but I never thought about it other than closing time. Like, literally to me, it just means like, just get out of the bar now, you know? Back at the fraternity party, Jenna and Tyler hear the signal and face a critical moment. I remember somebody literally like having to come up and be like, guys, like, come on, like, it's time to go. Be and at that moment, like, I realized like, oh, like they're playing closing time. Like, it must be pretty late. But like, until that moment, like, I was completely unaware. A moment that would decide whether a new beginning would come from some other beginning's end. I remember literally walking outside and being like, I, I don't know where to go from here. And you literally just took my hand and we just started walking. I was like, all right. I remember the walk home pretty definitely. I just remember it was fun. Like, I loved that walk home and it was cold for sure. But I just remember it was like fun. It was just like, I felt like it was like, it was like a really just like happy, just like really free, like outside. This is a really fun adventure yeah. home. I have that same like kind of connotation of that memory that it just seems like really happy. So this is this is a thing now. You guys are a thing. Are you guys a thing? Are you guys like? Are you guys exclusive? Yeah. No. Uh, I guess. I don't know. Part of like the not controlling things in my life is I try really hard to not like label things. It's just like I feel happy, and so we're yeah. just happy together. I guess. For better or for worse, yeah. <laughs>
truly. I was telling Garrett about my dancing, just how stiff my moves were, yet how it didn't matter. He reflected on a time he'd been living in Nepal. When I was living in Nepal, someone would take dance breaks, like stop everything, and just throw on the music and just dance. And this is like in the middle of the day. Yeah, the like two o'clock. Yeah, I've heard about this. The, the people that we dance with, they would say instead of saying you dance well, they say like you have a good dance, like you possess, oh, really? like your dance is you. <laughs> you know, you're not doing a move, you're doing you. So maybe my stiff little Bob is me, and you know what? I'm fine with that. I like my dance. I like me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dance a lot more. You know, of course. Thanks, you to, thanks to you. <laughs> of course, you can dance like uh, anytime, anywhere, like uh, without music. That's when I start to really understand that maybe my dance is not what I do on the dance floor. I feel like I'm dancing when I'm doing these interviews, putting together this podcast. I feel like I'm out on that ledge again, crossing rivers of doubt, conquering mountains of fear, chasing down the questions that burn in my soul. The funny thing is, like, once you really start dancing, that's when it becomes so, like, everything is fresh and beautiful, uh, and, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I really like to use the word, like, like, literally enchanting. Yeah. Like, it's so different. That's exactly it, right? Because a controlled world is not enchanted. But when the world is a little bit out of your control, there's magic. As I rode home, I felt like I had rediscovered something about myself and realized that sometimes, to really know yourself, you have to forget about how you are known. It's something Jordan figured out on his own journey. When you get into so many foreign, different situations, all these, like, constructed parts of your identity from your friends and family and everybody you know, your professional relationships, like, they just don't exist. And it's, like, reduced down to this, like, bare-bones part of you. His journey had taken him all the way to South America. He came back seven months later, brimming with ideas and the passion and courage to pursue them. He may be the first college dropout to win a Marshall Scholarship, one of the most prestigious scholarships in the world. Just one week after my journey into the night, I was asked to introduce him in front of 500 faculty and students to celebrate his accomplishment. All right, I'm going to try not to cry. I wrote a poem for Jordan. The teacher gave the student ideas, then he made them his own. But ideas cannot be owned. He did not have the ideas, the ideas had him. And they took him farther than he ever thought possible, across boundaries rarely crossed, past rivers of doubt and mountains of fear. He felt their jagged edges, wiped their dust from his brow, left his blood in their soil. He was offered a house in the suburbs of long-term security, but the ideas offered something greater. Not just the meaning of life, which he thought he sought, but the experience of being alive. The student came back to tell the teacher his ideas, and the teacher made them his own, but ideas cannot be owned. He did not have the ideas, the ideas had him, and they took him farther than he ever thought possible. And now many years after they first met, they wonder, who was the student? And who was the teacher? My student, my teacher, Jordan Thomas. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to all my teachers, to Matt, Will, and Chloe for reminding me the importance of putting ourselves out on that ledge, to Garrett for struggling with me on the dance floor and sharing your wisdom, to Tyler and Jenna for reminding us about the struggles and joys of coming to know and be known, 
to Adam and Stephanie for being who you are, to Ming Shin for reminding me what it really is to lose yourself, and to Jordan who inspired it all. Special thanks to Steve Metcalf for that beautiful closing time instrumental. Check out his YouTube channel for more. Also special thanks to Joel Nysis, my summer intern for helping with transcriptions, artwork, brainstorming, and for helping me build our amazing sound room, which made this possible. You can subscribe or share your own story at life101.audio. This first episode took six months to produce, so I can't promise a new episode soon, but I'm aiming for one new episode about every two months. But to do this, I will need your help. Go to life101.audio and check out our call for stories to see what topics we are currently working on. We're currently working on a great episode about digital life, including Pokemon Go. I caught Bulbasaur! <laughs> yes! Hell yeah! <laughs> yes! Life coach! <laughs> and we have another one about soul searching. Yeah, so, so instead of saying, like, hey, Christian God, I'm doubting, help me, I'm actually praying, but it's more like, hey, God of the universe, if you're out there, whoever you are, I want to find you. Because I don't want to be wrong about this. This is a big deal. We want to hear your stories. Click on share your story at life101.audio to get started. All right, let's wrap it up. Any final words? Um, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> this is a quick hour and a half. Oh, wait. Um, oh. Try to stop on this. No. no. Sometimes you get good stuff as people are leaving. <laughs> I don't really know much about what I'm doing, actually. All learning. Learning experience. I've never actually produced a podcast yet. Really? So this is something new. This is very new. Okay. I like it, though. Not afraid of new things. <laughs>